Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Opening up with some words of encouragement, author and blogger Becky Kapitsky, exploring areas related to putting other people first. Then, a story of hope even in the midst of loss. You'll be hearing from Tim Dunn, who challenges readers to make an adjustment in their view of life. Also, with some insight on living a courageous life, it's Bible teacher and speaker Ann White of the ministry Courage for Life. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, information and analysis on the immigration issue with Rachel Bavard of the Conservative Partnership Institute, which is led by former U.S. Senator Jim DeMint. She helps to navigate recent developments. Finally, concentrating on the plight of an American pastor being held in Turkey, you'll be hearing from Mark Creech of the Christian Action League, reporting on the response by a legislative body in the pastor Andrew Brunson's home state of North Carolina. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Becky Kapitsky is an author and blogger who wants to see more people walk in the love of God and put others first. She's written a book called Generous Love, Discover the Joy of Living Others First. Here now is Becky Kapitsky. Use encouraging words, especially as a mom. I'm convicted of this often. In what I believe is my job to train my children, to raise them up right, I can very easily become their critic or their police officer instead of a shepherd. And it's so important to be gentle and kind with our words, encouraging with our words, the way we treat our spouses. Am I building up my husband or am I tearing him down? Uh, that, that's an important one. And, um, and, and also in how we recognize our differences in the household just because my husband thinks uh, maybe for example let's use the let's use the example of money he may approach money differently than i do but it doesn't doesn't mean it's wrong or maybe he has a different idea for how we ought to parent but that doesn't mean it's wrong so as long as we are focused on the same central gospel the way we live that out the way that uh, that our personal convictions are going to play out may be different but different does not automatically mean wrong and that's a very important way to understand uh, how we can approach the people in our families that and recognize who god has created them to be may be different from what we expect especially with our children i may think that god has he was supposed to give me a, a very dainty um girly girl and instead he gave me this child who loves action figures and playing in the mud and that doesn't mean it's wrong it just means that who is that's who has god has created i need to recognize who he's put in my household he does not make mistakes. Who has he fashioned and put in my household? And I need to love and nurture mm. that person, not the person I expected they were supposed to be. How has that walked out or lived out in the in the relationships outside the home and in the community? Mm. Yes. Well, let's take, for example, the idea of accepting people for who they are rather than uh, for uh, who we expect them to be or who our, our own circles of influence may be. Um, you know, I had a conversation, it's actually in the book, with my senior pastor, and he has this wonderful il- illustration. He was in a shopping line um, waiting to check out, and he was getting so frustrated because someone ahead of him was just chatting w- with the others in line and, and taking her sweet time, and he's thinking, I've got places to go here. And he was getting very <laughs> frustrated. He was looking at her from the outside, and she had several tattoos and body piercings, and he was forming a judgment of who this person was. And, and he was frustrated because he had places to go and things to do. And this woman turned around and looked at him and said, Pastor, it's so good to see you. I loved your message last Sunday. And he said, 
said it was just as though God had cut him to the quick, reminding him once again, never judge people from the external. Never judge them that way because he has created each of us unique. And again, those personal convictions will play out differently in each person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can assume that we are not brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, That's just one example. And in the book, I actually talk about four uh, four ways, if you don't mind, if we chat a little bit, a bit sure. about um, our, uh, our four P's of blessing, and this is the way I've tried to organize it so that um, the, the idea of blessing other people becomes a lot easier to, to understand and to make a reality in our lives. Because one thing I don't ever want to do is present lofty ideas without giving um, some tangible um, action steps. You know, how can we live this out in our lives? And so there are, I see it as there are four ways that we really can bless people, whether in our homes, our communities, or beyond. Um, the, first, it, the first P is uh, presence. Are we available for people? Are we so absorbed in our own calendars that we don't even recognize that people use our blessings? So are we just available to to talk to people, to be a face in their life? Um, another one is uh, possessions. Often we think, I don't have enough. I, if I had a million dollars, then I would give. But God can make much with little. So what difference does it make? Um, The person who has much and writes a huge check, what a tremendous blessing. But what about the person who has little and just uh, delivers a meal to the neighbor next door? That is as great a one-on-one blessing as this world might see. Um, And then a a third one are, um, of course, our possessions move into the idea of our perspective, who are we giving our possessions to and why? Again, that idea of, as my pastor said, we should not be judging people by the external. Do we have a perspective that everyone was created by God? And because of that, they are worthy of blessings. And finally, prayers. There are so many ways that we can bless people. When we think we have nothing else to give, when we think we have very little time or, or um, abilities, and, and the only way we can bless people is with our prayers, that might be the most powerful way we can bless another person. Becky Kapitsky here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website BeckyKapitsky, K-O-P-I-T-Z-K-E dot com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Tim Dunn a businessman who has served on boards of a number of Christian organizations. He discussed with me recently the book he's written called Yellow Balloons, Power for Living Life Above the Circumstances, offering his viewpoint about perspective discovered in the aftermath of the loss of his young granddaughter. Here now is Tim Dunn. First of all, it's important to note that we had no no advance warning for this. Mm. Uh, there's There was an autopsy and no 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 conclusion there's no medical explanation for why she died she went down for a nap she died we knew that she was um, prone to fever induced seizures Uh, her parents and her sister were actually living in our house at the time they were just a couple weeks away from moving out into a house they had purchased and remodeled so they were living with us while they were remodeling it they had just moved to town so about nine months earlier went through a house search and then a remodel and so, you know, they, Mary Catherine was keeping a real close eye on Mariah because, you know, the she had a fever at the time. She had had these seizures. But that's not supposed to be life-threatening, and that's not supposed to be the answer. It might have been. We just don't know. So suddenly we went from normal to, you know, a death and, and no particular explanation for it, nobody to blame. Um, 
the the thing I think we all learn together is the importance of grieving well. We, uh, you know, life is a team sport, I like to say. And immediately after this happened, I asked our pastor for some advice. Uh, I had heard and read that when when there's a child death, uh, family separations are high percentage. Lots of families break up. And uh, our pastor came by and he said, well, you know, came to the right place. I have a lot of knowledge about this. Here's what happens. Uh, today, I feel okay and you're grieving, but I don't want to grieve today. I don't like to hurt. So what I'm going to do is step away from you. And tomorrow, I'm grieving and you feel okay and you don't want to hurt because you, you don't like it, so you step away. And pretty soon, people have just drifted apart. And the anecdote to that is, uh, antidote to that is, when you're grieving, I'll step into your grief and grieve with you, and I'll grieve the way you want to grieve. If you want to grieve silently, I'll do that with you. If you want to talk, I'll do that with you, because I'm investing now in you. You're you're who I have left. And uh, so we all took that to heart, and I think um, I think that it was something that was a fantastic investment. You know, life is full of investments, and that was one that it hurt a lot, but I think it paid off in a big way. And I think David was did that with yellow balloons. He's really prone to just shut the door and move on. And because he wrote this album and wrote these songs about this, he has had to talk about it over and over again, which I don't think he would necessarily choose if, if that was uh, something that he was uh, you know, sitting down to do. But I think it was really, really good for him and has ministered to a lot of people. He, he said that he gets a couple of uh, communications a week that people saying, the how much uh, the songs and the album has have meant to them because this is pretty common i mean you know 25 percent of uh, births i've read uh, end in miscarriage and you know that's a more of a silent grieving that people do well i just i think that's something that uh, would be best brought into the open because it's really common and uh, even though we didn't all know the child it's still a loss and when those losses happen we need to grieve with one another. It's part of life. The other thing we learned, Bob, was that, um, that you know, you, there's things in life that don't make sense, and you, got, you still have to choose who you trust. And either God has things in, uh, orchestrated where they're in your best interest, or he doesn't. And when you have something like this happen, you don't know how that could be in your best interest. Just like Job didn't know. You know, why would this be in my best interest? We get to look from the perspective of the little battle going on in heaven and all of God's plans for Job, but Job didn't know that at the time. All he could do is look at his circumstances and say, I cannot make sense of this. I don't know why this would happen to me. And that's where a lot of us are a lot of the time, but, you know, we still get to choose who we trust, and, um, and that's not easy to do. And sometimes you don't know the answers. And you have to decide, am I still going to trust that God has my best interest at heart? Um, David's lyrics, who he wrote with Mary Catherine, uh, in, the, in the song, the title song for his, his book, might sum it up best. Uh, God, what were you doing? I really don't understand what you did here. I don't get it. But my conclusion is I need you more now. Hmm. Tim Dunn here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website yellowballoons.net. Ann White is the founder of the ministry called Courage for Life. 
and author of the book and study guide, Courage for Life, Discover a Life Full of Confidence, Hope, and Opportunity. She shared with me about how she discovered courage in her own life and discussed the work of the ministry toward at-risk women, including the Courage for Life Women's Audio Bible, a project now underway. From that conversation, this is Anne White. It was very clear to me that one of the primary things that was holding me back was fear. As a child, I grew up um, with a fear of anger, a fear of conflict. Um, My mom was a peacemaker. My dad uh, had a lot of anger issues because of a broken past and an abusive um, father. And so he had a very short fuse. And my mom would be walking on eggshells and trying to get, you know, to make everything just right. But I was able to, I picked that same habit up. And with my husband did the exact same thing. I would, you know, whether he was disciplining the children or whether he was truly angry about something, I would walk on the same eggshells in advance of of anything even happening. And so I just learned, we learned as we go through that process. And I carried that into our family life. So courage is the opposite of fear. You know, courage is making choices in the face of adversity or fear. You know, saying yes in times of fear or intimidation and saying yes to positive challenges. And probably my favorite definition of courage is taking a necessary risk and trusting God with the outcome. And that is sometimes the hardest thing to do. And that's why courage. I had to risk being known, being transparent about our issues and coming out, so to speak, and saying, here's what's going on in my life. I need help. And just trust God that he would work in Mike's life. He would not only in Mike's life, but he would work in my life. And that if, if God was in it and we were both willing, God would do a mighty work in our lives. Well, and, and that takes courage. Sure. And you mentioned those three words, and I wanted you to elaborate just a bit. I need help. Why is Mm -hmm. it that you believe that people are hesitant to ask for help in their lives? Oh, I think it has a lot to do with fear. You know, in the book Courage for Life, I talk about the four pests of pressure. And I really, I talk about what I went through, but I identified really four things, and fear being the number one. But fear, hurt, sin, and shame were the four primary kind of pests that keep us from moving forward, that keep us in isolation and keep us from sharing with others. Because number one, we're afraid they may judge us. We're afraid of what they might think of us. Hmm. Um, We've been hurt in the past, that fear hurt. Hurt that we've had from the past tells us, and Satan uses it to say, you don't want to be hurt again. People are going to hurt you, and they will, but you've got to trust God with that. And then, of course, sin keeps us in hiding because we don't want anybody to know what's really going on in our life. But that's right where Satan wants us to be. And then shame, because Satan will draw us into sin and we'll we'll succumb. And then he'll shame us the moment we we fall in his trap. So those four things were really what were holding me back from being transparent. And I think that's why I have such a passion for working with at-risk women through Courage for Life. We want to come alongside women that are hurting, that have been in these places of fear or having fear at this moment in time, and we want to encourage them through Courage for Life, through God's Word and that foundation of letting them know you are not alone. You're not the only one going through this, and God 
has forgiven you, forgiven you in advance. He is there with mercy and grace to carry you to the next place you need to go in life. And if you just surrender, he'll make sure you get there with everything intact. Ann White here on the Intersection Podcast. You can find out more by going to the website courageforlife.org. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. You can also subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Video content is accessible as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can reach the homepage through faithradio.org. You go to the programming section and click on the Meeting House link. You can also find the Intersection podcast on the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Rachel Bavard. She is Senior Policy Director for the Conservative Partnership Institute, which is led by former U.S. Senator Jim DeMint. In our conversation, she discussed immigration legislation, which was under consideration in Congress at the time, as well as action taken by the President regarding family separation and the necessity of congressional action to address the issue. From that conversation, this is Rachel Bavard. There is so much on social media with respect to this family separation policy. And I think, you know, it's important that we deal with what is, you know, we separate fact from fiction, that we deal with what is true. There is a whole lot of heated rhetoric that is out there over this family separation. It's something that I know even within the Christian community, there are calls to make sure that we balance border security with compassion. You had a number of evangelical leaders that have been really speaking out against this this policy that was was part of some of some new moves by the attorney general and the Trump administration with respect to this so-called zero tolerance policy at the border resulting in the separation of families. So explain to us this new zero tolerance policy and what has led to what we've seen unfold over the last two weeks. There has been quite a lot of hyperbole on social media, uh, you know, a lot of uh, emotive images. That's that's definitely the case. How, however, nothing in the law has actually changed. Um, the President Trump has just made a decision to enforce law at the border by having a zero to- tolerance policy of prosecution. Uh, President Obama chose a policy of catch and release, which was to say they you know, individuals and families that were apprehended at the border were, were processed and then released and told to report back to court uh, at a later date. A huge percentage of, of them did not. Uh, so President Trump has taken the uh, initiative and he's allowed this, this jurisdiction under the law uh, to enforce a full prosecution policy. And that has resulted, you know, whenever an individual is charged with a crime, at any point in the United States, they are held in detention away from their families. And that is exactly what's going on here. Uh Congress is the one that needs to change this law if it's going to be changed. Um, the current operating law about family separations does not allow the government to hold children for more than 20 days, which is why you are seeing these children being bused to various locations around the country, which is uh, you know, sometimes hundreds of miles removed from their parents who are still in custody. 
And that is the result of existing federal law. Uh, so Congress is the ones that really need to come in and act uh, when it comes to this question uh, to really clarify it and, and either expand or limit the, the power of the president, whatever they choose to do. But this cannot be fixed until Congress steps in. Mm. Well, was there some sort of trigger that that made the attorney general all of a sudden decide that, you know, we need to enforce this provision of the law? What What actually set this in motion as you see it? Yeah, I do think it was the number of illegal crossings. When you look at the Border Patrol data, you went from uh, 15,000 family crossings in 2015 to 75,000 in in 2017. And so I think the Border Patrol looked at that and said, we have a crisis. We cannot continue to hold these people. We are being overwhelmed. Uh, And that is a huge number of of families uh, to deal with. And so uh, the the president and his administration made the decision to uh, enact a zero tolerance policy in an effort to deter uh, migrants from crossing with children. And this is similar uh, in some respects to the policy that President Obama enforced in 2014 when he went uh, to the public uh, in, in news interviews and said, don't bring your children. This is dangerous. We know sex traffickers are preying on these children. We know, you know, cartels are preying on these children. Don't do this. He was taking a, a similar role. He also separated, uh, you know, children from their families to a much less degree than what we're seeing now. Uh, but it's always been a policy to do to to separate children from their parents who are being prosecuted. It's just a matter of degree. But I do feel like in interpreting the sentiments that were expressed by the Trump administration, they were doing this to address the, you know, huge increase they saw from 2015 to 2017 in families crossing the border. Trump's executive order has essentially said, look, we're still going to detain families that are crossing the border. We're just going to detain them together. And what they have done in addition to that is, is they've gone to the judge who initially put the restriction of not being able to being able to hold the kids for more than 20 days, they've gone to that same judge and said, look, can you please help us, you know, give us legal authority to keep these kids for more than 20 days to be able to keep them with their families. So that is what his executive order does. A lot of it hinges on the discretion of this Ninth Circuit judge, um, you know, who, who can allow the administration to keep the children with their families. Uh, otherwise, they're, they're going to have to continue this process of removing the children and putting them in foster care around the country, which I don't think anyone wants. But unfortunately, that's the law of the land right now. So mm-hmm. the Trump executive order addresses this from a Band-Aid perspective. But again, Congress is the only one that can actually change the law in this regard. Uh, and so I think and if they want a permanent fix to this problem, Congress is going to have to act. Rachel Bavard here on The Intersection. You can learn more at conservativepartnership.org. You can find her on Twitter at Rachel Bavard, B-O-V-A-R-D. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Mark Creech, Executive Director of the Christian Action League, which is based in North Carolina. He discussed with me a resolution that the state's House of Representatives passed in support of Pastor Andrew Brunson, who has been arrested and placed in prison by officials in the nation of Turkey. Here now is Mark Creech. The unique dynamic was not simply that this was a Christian brother and not simply that this was a religious liberty issue or an international religious liberty issue, but that this is a North Carolina citizen. And so I was concerned that uh, Tillis and others uh, on the federal level were doing what they could to secure Brunson's release. My concern was what could the state do? Uh, How could the state weigh in? Because I felt that the state had an obligation to weigh in on a matter that affected one of their own citizens so significantly as this. 
And so I began doing some, um, making some phone calls to Tillis's office, trying to work with his office about the matter, making sure that everything that the Christian Action League did was in step with what Tillis was doing on the federal level, uh, because he's working very closely with the State Department. And as you can imagine, this is all a very sensitive issue, and we certainly didn't want to do anything on the state level uh, that could uh, somehow or another injure any negotiations that might be going on uh, with the State Department and the government of Turkey. But I suggested to uh, Senator Tillis's office that I thought maybe one of the ways that North Carolina could weigh in on this was to have resolutions, resolutions from the uh, North Carolina House as well as the North Carolina Senate calling for Brunson's release. So during this short session, which started around the 1st of June, I began lobbying on that. And uh, the lobbying that I was doing was received quite well. And Representative Chuck McGrady from Henderson, North Carolina, uh, became the champion of the resolution. He, too, was in constant contact with Tillis's office. I think the two of them worked together on the resolution that uh, was put was crafted and of course that went before the house last Wednesday evening and to tell you the truth I've never seen a resolution I'm sure there has been but I in my 20-year tenure in the North Carolina General Assembly I've never seen a resolution that got a, a, a that passed unanimously and this one did Bob Mm. Well, that is certainly encouraging. When we think about the content of this particular resolution, obviously the House wanting to show their support. Anything with respect to the language that you felt like legislators wanted to emphasize? Well, they've they've included most of uh, most of the facts regarding the situation. Uh, I I think. Uh, the at the end section one uh, which says the house of representatives uh, joins the members of the united states congress in asking that pastor brunson be released from prison immediately uh, they also encourage the resolution encourages congress and the trump administration to take necessary steps to protect the interest of american citizens uh, in turkey which would include uh, sanctions and other appropriate means um, I, if if I all, I'm so thankful that we've gotten this particular resolution done, Bob. Um, but if I I had any complaint about it, which I told the leadership, uh, my concerns, it was that I felt that it needed um, more teeth to it. Um, I had hoped maybe we might talk something about. Uh, in in the resolution, uh, North Carolina's business interest uh, with Turkey, because in 2017, North Carolina exported $195 million in commodities to Turkey. Uh, and uh, North Carolina also has imported as much as uh, $443 million um, this year, I believe it did, in, in commodities to Turkey. So there ought to be a way that we can say without threatening Turkey, Turkey, uh, look, all of our relationship with you has been good. We're doing business with you, but uh, your current uh, behavior with respect to Brunson 
is an offense, an insult to every American, and especially to North Carolinians. And uh, all of our relations, our business interests, are certainly in jeopardy if you don't release the man. Mark Creech here on The Intersection. Learn more about the organization at ChristianActionLeague.org. Well, we're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. It is a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through MeetingHouseOnline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on The Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can find the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Find out more at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.